Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Here with us today, and you braved the weather and you came out. So I hereby declare if you are here and present, you will go to heaven because you brave. No, I'm just kidding, right? No, we are glad that you're here. And to those of you viewing online, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, it's the new year. Uh, I, I don't know when you stop saying that. When, like, do you stop in February? Like, oh, that, you know, new year or anything like that. But um, a couple times in the year, what we do is we primarily teach through books of the Bible here at Westside, but we sort of just pause and then we dive into God's Word and see what He says about various topics. And so, what we're doing at the beginning of 2022 is we are looking at a new year, new family, and to see what God's Word has to say about marriage, about parenting, about singleness, about dating, about all of those things. Um, this series is applicable to everybody. If you are somebody who's parenting young kids, if you're dating, if you're empty nesters, if you're single or any of those things, God's word has something to say um, about this phase in our lives. And, and just as a quick recap, here's what we said sort of the goal of the series has been. We said the goal is to break down old foundations and to build up new foundations for our family or for our homes. And so last week, you can go to our website and check out that sort of introduction message. It's pretty important. We, we did kind of some hard work last week, and we looked at the foundation um, of our home, either the lack thereof or the foundation that we're building our lives on. And we said that every family and everybody has inherited a foundation to build your family on. Some of those things are good. Praise be to God for those praying grandmas and grandpas. And, you know, we, some of us say we were drug babies, we were drugged to church, you know, and stuff like that. Praise be to God for that. But for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And one of the difficult things about building your life and your family is inevitably um, there will be brokenness, there will be sin. And so we said that we have to sort of break down those old foundations and build up some new foundations. And this week, um, I was reminded through our Bible reading plan, and um, I got a new Bible, just a fresh view at God's Word, and this passage just jumped out at me this week in Psalm 11.3, and it says this. It says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And what the psalmist is saying is when he looks at the world and he sees the brokenness and he sees the chaos, the righteous have a foundation that they are building their lives on. But if the foundation is destroyed and it crumbles, then, then what are we left to do? And I was reminded that the foundation is what it's all about. And, and the key sentence that we said last week was really this, that the family is foundational to our formation, okay? 
Now, we need to spend time on this sentence. Number one, it's inherently true that, that your family of origin is foundational to forming you um, socially, emotionally, spiritually, financially, all of those things. We looked at and, and we even said that, man, the way that I view money is greatly affected by even my family of origin. That the family is foundational to how we are formed as human beings. But the reason why it's important to pause on that is because this sentence is greatly challenged. And here's what I mean by that. If you survey any sort of literature or sort of look at what the world says about the family, um, it's very popular now to say that the family isn't so much foundational. It doesn't have to be a certain way. This isn't what's really important. What's important is what you make of it. But the problem with that is, is that the culture contradicts itself constantly. And, and this is a great spot for an amen. Um, we believe that God's word doesn't contradict itself. Amen. We believe that God's word, as one pastor says, is timeless. Therefore, it's always timely. And so just kind of making a crazy suggestion, rather than constantly challenging God's word, what if we tried it? right? Like that would be nuts, right? Rather than constantly arguing and disagreeing with it, what if we just, just submitted ourselves to it and maybe tried it for a little bit? And I was reminded this week um, that the culture just sort of contradicts itself, saying that the family isn't important, but um, the world sort of paused and stopped and recognized uh, a famous actor um, by the name of Bob Saget. And so Bob was very famous, obviously, for Full House and then Fuller House or America's Funniest Home Videos or all of that stuff. But that TV show was about a family. And I even remember uh, seeing this week a news article. I think it was from the L.A. Times that said this, remembering America's dad. Now, obviously, being in this series, New Year, New Family, that's family language, right? And so I just thought how interesting that for many of us, and I saw a lot of people in my age who were like, gosh, man, I felt like this guy, in a way, almost raised me a little bit. I would get home from school, I would turn on the TV, and there's full house. And it got me thinking to survey some of sort of like the famous families of TV, if you will. So I want you to be a part of this, okay? If, if you viewed these families on live TV, now I'm not talking about reruns or anything like that. I'm talking about if you grew up in the era where this was the prominent family on TV, I just want to kind of survey as sort of a generational survey and just pop your hand up, okay? So I think if you go back, the first one is this, um, 1957, I Love Lucy, okay? Does, just, just pop your hand up. Anybody remember? Okay, you know you're old. It's okay, just raise your hand, right? It's all right, it's okay. Um, I Love Lucy, great TV show, you know, hilarious, black and white. And what's interesting is anytime it showed them in their bedroom, they even slept in like separate beds on TV because it was so provocative even for a man and his wife to sleep in the same bed on TV. I Love Lucy. How about the second one, 19? 1958, Leave it to Beaver. Anybody? Leave it to Beaver? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was sort of like the golden era. 
Wally, you know, all of that good stuff. Leave it to Beaver, 1958. Fast forwarding a little bit. How about this? Um, the Brady Bunch, dun, 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 1969. Anybody raise your hand, right? This was interesting because now this is, um, you know, two families coming together. This was like a very, like, new breakthrough sort of TV show, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. And then they tried to redo and did the movie, and it was trash, okay, right? So that's 1969. Uh, and then how about this, 1984, The Cosby Show. Anybody, The Cosby Show, for sure, right? That didn't end well, but anyway, um, moving on, okay, right? Nobody saw that coming. That's heartbreaking and sad. But, and then, how about 1989 Family Matters, okay? Yeah, now we're in it. Now we're in it, right? Um, Screech, I mean, all are, yeah, not Screech. Screech is Saved by the Bell. Urkel, Steve, they're the same character, right? All of this, this was great. I really, really remember Family Matters a bunch. Um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then, obviously, Full House, 1987. Anybody Full House? Yeah, for sure. Um, now, though, if you fast forward, there's all kinds. I mean, this is us, modern family, all of that stuff. But did you know that the longest running TV show in American history is The Simpsons? Right? The Simpsons. Um, I had to watch this in my room with the volume down, okay? I couldn't, you know, weren't allowed to watch that. Bart was a little bit too rebellious from uh, the Jordan parents and all of that. But if you just survey, like, like let's just step back. Maybe you're, maybe you're a non-Christian. Maybe you're just sort of peeking over the fence. Can I just lay some just data before you? If you look at the survey of family TV shows, and, and what those are, guys, is that's a cultural commentary, Okay. That's, that is a snapshot of the larger culture as a whole. We go from a black and white, I love Lucy, where they, they sleep in separate beds, all the way to animated cartoons, Bart Simpson, okay? And I think really the sentence and what I'm trying to say is this is that the culture is constantly changing, okay? That's, that is a true statement at face value. The culture is constantly changing. And if the culture is constantly changing, then that means, if we connect the dots logically, that what the culture says today is true for you and your home and your dating life and your marriage and your parenting, then it's also true Then that will change over the years. The reality is this. The culture fights the family being foundational, but the reality is, is the family is foundational. I mean, like, I remember when Roman was born and, you know, we come home from the hospital and, and we're doing the stuff there and my parents are there and it comes to lay Roman down and, you know, we laid him down on his back and my mom was like, oh, oh, you can't, you can't, oh, we grew up, you can't lay a baby down on his back, you gotta, and then you read this book and it says this and then you read this Pinterest article and it says, oh, no, you can't do that because the culture is constantly changing. 
And the reason why I bring that up is because you are faced with the worldly standards and what the culture says every day, 24-7, 365. And what we do here is we pause and we say that there is a God who has created the heavens and the earth. And this God is intimately involved in his creation. And that this God is not silent, but this God has spoken. And this God has written down his revealed will in the very word of God. So what we're doing in this series is we are pausing and we are challenging what the world would say to us. And listen, can I just say, some of you who are maybe single or widowed or empty nesters, maybe you're kind of like, why is this series important for me? I'm not dealing with this day in and day out. I would venture to say this. I think if you talked to any married couple, any parents, or anything like that, this series is probably more important for you because you are now building the foundation that you will someday build your life on. And, and we said that in the passage in Joshua chapter 24 is, is really interesting what God is doing is the people are right at the edge of the promised land. That God comes to this guy named Abram in modern day Iraq. He was a pagan worshiper. And God says, Abram, I'm going to call you Abraham. And from you, I'm literally going to create a people, my people. And God says, from your family will come nations. But the problem was is that God's people worship false gods. They end up in slavery. And then God raises up who? Charlton Heston. That's right. He raises him up to bring the people out of slavery to go into the promised land. But the people wild out. And so God said, you need to wander around in the desert to learn this lesson. And then God says, hey, Moses, there's the promised land. Look, 40 years you've been dealing with these people. At one point, Moses prayed that God would kill him, right? Moses was like, I am exhausted from dealing with your people. Please take me out. God's like, Moses, there it is. And guess what? You're not going into the promised land. I am going to raise up Joshua. And Joshua is the leader of Israel. And Joshua in Joshua 24 is on his deathbed. He is dying. And he assembles the leaders and the families and the households of Israel. And he says, there's the promised land. You are getting ready to inherit the promise. But then he says that there's going to be influences. He says this, and the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people and that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shekahalahat. Okay, verse 26. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and he set it there under the, the tree that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua makes a covenant with the people. But if you look in verses 14 and 15, Joshua says, here's the reason why we're doing all of this. There's going to be two main influences on your family. When you go into this land and begin to live a certain way, you've got to be aware of what is going to influence you. The first influence is this. There are generational influences. God, uh, Joshua says, 
the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt. You need to put those away. So what we said last week was, is we need to tear down those old generational influences. And we just stepped back. And we said some of us haven't even surveyed our family of origin and where we come from. I had a conversation with one person who said, you know, when I stopped and I thought about even three generations back, um, my parents divorced when I was young, my grandparents were divorced, and my great-grandparents were divorced. Listen, that affects and has an influence on you today in the here and now. So you have to know what your generational influences are. But the second one was this, the cultural influences. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, And if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers, we talked about that, in the river Jordan, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said this, you've got to understand something. It's not only generational influences, but when you live day in and day out, example, when you take the Sabbath and the rest of the culture is not doing that, you better believe that there is going to be pressure for you to conform to the world around you. And, and parents and those dating and grandparents, can we just pause and say that we feel the tension that the world places on us every single day? Whether it's, this is how um, you're supposed to date, this is what this looks like, this, that, or the other. So, what is Joshua doing in this passage? What's our big idea and the thesis that'll give us a direction? And today it's very simply this. Every family must define who they are and declare where they are going. Every family Every home, every house, every single person, everybody listening to this, you have to define who you are and what your values are that make up your family. And then you have to declare a direction. This is what we're striving for. This is what we are doing. Why? Well, a number of reasons. Number one, we said this last week, that if you don't, have a vision for your life and for your family, then the world will give you a vision that you don't want, okay? Drift happens naturally. The second reason is this, that when those things get challenged, when you have those values and you stand for those values and they become challenged, then you better know where you're going. You better know what you're standing for. It was one famous president that said that if we don't stand for anything, then we will fall for everything. And man, I see that in families. I feel that tension of having a family of my own, of constantly having to gather us back to the center and say, no, 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 no. This is who we are. This is what we value. And this is where we are going. So how does Joshua do this? I mean, I mean, because listen, we want to be people of the Bible, amen? Oh, like two of you want to be, I'll let you do that. Because we want to be people of the word, amen? 
We want our families to be defined by what God's word says. So what is a practical way? How can we define who we are and declare a direction for our families, for our home, and for our lives? We'll go back to that Joshua 24 passage and in those verses 24 through 26. We see that Joshua does something specific. He says, and the people said to Joshua, um, the Lord our God, we will serve and his voice we will obey. They're like, yes, this is good. Amen, Joshua, we want to do this. And Joshua says in verse 25, um, let's make a covenant with the people this day. And we're going to put in place these statutes and these rules. And Joshua wrote them in the book of the law of God that you're holding in your hand. And he took a large stone and he set it up. What's, what's Joshua doing? Well, the key word in the passage is covenant. Now, what a covenant is, is a covenant is not a contract. A contract is based on two parties coming together, agreeing upon service and goods, and a contract is based upon performance. Um, you have a contract with AT&T that they will keep your phone on if you pay them each month. And if you don't pay them, guess what happens? No phone, okay? So it's based upon performance. When somebody doesn't fulfill their end, it's null and void. That is canceled. I am so thankful. I am so thankful today. L listen, I come bearing good news to you today that that is not how God operates. God doesn't operate on a contract. God operates on a covenant. And do you know what a covenant is? It's not based upon performance. It's based on a promise, a future promise. The, the best example that we have of this is, is a marriage, is, is a wedding. Um, I, you know, I have the privilege to do weddings. And, and one rule that I have is I do not let the bride and groom write their own wedding vows. You know why? Because you're dumb, okay, right? Because we all are. We all are. You're going to stand up there and you're just going to wax eloquent and you're going to quote some song and you're going to do all this mushy stuff, woo, frou, frou. At the end of the day, the vows that you are exchanging have nothing to do with that day. They are a future promise. That's why I always use the standard vows. For better, for worse, in sickness and in health, until death do we part. Because what you're saying, as one famous preacher said, that any time a couple would come and sit in his office and they would need marriage counseling, he would start with this question. Is it as worse as it's ever been in your marriage right now? And they would say yes, and he would go, great, great, because you promised to be here. Because you promised to be here. And what Joshua is saying is, we need to do the same thing with our families. We need to declare and define where our family's going and who our family is. And then they set up this stone. You see this all through the Old Testament, that anytime somebody encounters God or has a supernatural experience with God, they mark it. They literally build something to remind themselves or anybody else that comes along, God came here. This is an important place. So what we did last week to help you in this is 
we gave out the family declarations. Now, at the end of the service, if you didn't pick these up, they're up here by the communion tables. You can pick them up. And what it is, is it's a family declaration. It has that passage from Joshua. And then it says, we declare and dedicate by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that this home will be a house of God. And, and we defined a house as this. And this is what we're going to get into today. Um, I'm a simple man, okay? I'm a simple man, but I know what love is, Jenny, okay? And, and I don't think that we really understand, like, what a home is or what is a family or what are our values. So we're going to break this down into an acronym to help us understand and define it. And here's what we said we wanted you to do. We wanted you as a family and everybody in your home to sign the bottom of it and then to frame it and to put it up in your home. Why? The same reason that Joshua did is to declare that God has met our family here, that our family's foundation is built upon God and his word. So what I want to do today is I just want to very quickly walk through these values. And listen, you could probably come up with a better acronym. That's awesome. You can add stuff to this. You can tweak it. You can do whatever you want. But at a very bare basic level, this is to declare and define who we are and where we are going as a family. So the first thing is this. H is holy. That we want our house, our home, our family, our lives to be holy. Why? Because look at what God says in the book of Leviticus. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, I have to pause here and do a little bit of work. Because any time that you hear that word holy, that does not sound like good news to you. That sounds like bad news. Because when we think of holy, we think of like stained glass windows and like long flowy robes and like hallelujah and like perfection and all of that stuff. Which is a part of what holiness or holy means. But really at the heart of it. Well, this is what the word looks like in the original for the two of you that care. This is what the word holy means in the Hebrew Bible. It means sacred, set apart, or to separate. So think about this. When God says, I want you to be holy, for I am holy, yes, it means that God is sinless, that God is just, that God is perfect, all of those things. But primarily, at the very basic understanding of this word, what God is saying is, there is no other God like me. That I am separate. That I am distinct. As the Bible would use the language, I am above the heavens. So because I am separate and distinct, I want you to be separate and distinct. Um, maybe I can illustrate it this way. This is a picture of the greatest shoe that's ever invented, okay? Uh, this is not up for argument. This is the Air Jordan 1, greatest shoe from the greatest player ever, okay? Um, and I'm a big fan. I love this shoe. These are my pride and joy. I got these as a gift. Um, I wear a size 11 and a half if the Lord just lays that on your heart. But um, I have rules for these shoes, 
Um, like if it's raining outside, uh-uh, not wearing these, okay? Um, I'm walking on the pavement. I am not walking on the grass or any of those things, right? Even when I go down the stairs, I try not to bend my toes. I kind of do like a duck walk thing. Okay, listen, everybody has their thing, all right? Mine just happen to be shoes, right? Why in the world do I treat these different from the ones that I like mow the lawn in? Everybody has those shoes, right? They're forever green. They're always going to be green, okay? That I always say that the lawn is where shoes go to die, right? You're just going to throw those on, mow the lawn, do whatever, wear them without socks, just ugh, all of that stuff, right? Um, why, why are these separate? Why, why do I use them differently, have rules? Um, because the value. You see, the value affects how you view it. I view these differently because they have a value to me. So what if, rather than the legalistic way of thinking holiness as perfection and rules... What if we thought about it that our family and my home and my life will be governed a certain way and separate because it has inerrant value to it? And so the application question is this. How is my house set apart from the rest of the world? How is my home different from the rest of the world? Now, really quickly, what I don't mean is how can I draw a list of everything that we're against? Arr, right? Our house is separate and distinct, and by God, we're not going to, and I'm mad about it, but I love the Lord, right? That's not, that's not what we're saying. Um, honestly, just to be really real with you, my wife and I experienced this tension yesterday in our home. We were watching an anticipated show that the kids wanted to watch, and it was supposed to be some really fun science fiction, and it was going to be great, and it was going to be awesome. And then all of a sudden, these kids started using the word like paranormal. And, oh, come over here. And then somebody busted out a Ouija board. And then so I just paused it. And I said, hey, guys, could I have a conversation with you? Um, do, do you know what they're doing here? And, of course, the kids are like, no, yeah, you know, we have no idea. And we had to walk through it, and we had to talk about what God's Word says and do all of that. Listen, it is a tension constantly to let, like, I remember growing up um, that I wasn't allowed to stay the night at a friend's house on Saturday because we were going to church on Sunday. And, buddy, let me tell you, that was not good news to me, okay? That was not good news. But I look back and understand now, oh, we did that differently because we're striving for something that God has and says is valuable for our family. We, listen, parents, please, primarily parents, you better, and we're going to get to this sermon, but you better be able to have an answer whenever your kids challenge why you do what you do because the challenge is coming. And so in our home, what we want is we want to be separate. We want to be distinct. Holiness is something that we are striving for. The second thing is this. It's not just holiness, but obedience. Obedience. Look at what Jesus says here in John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep, you will obey my commandments. 
Now, I need to do a little bit of work here, and I will teach on this as long as I am the pastor here. I will mention this and teach on this every single time. Look at the order of the words. Jesus says, if you, what's the word? Love me, then you will keep my, what's the last word? Love comes first, then the commandments, and then the obedience. Jesus does not say this. If you keep my commandments, then I will love you. That is the opposite or the antithesis of the gospel. And as a matter of fact, if you drop down in the passage, look at your Bible in Joshua 24. They make the declaration, and then in verse 15, Joshua puts the nail in the coffin. I mean, this is it. This is the tweet. This is the status. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. But why? Why are you going to do that? Well, look at verse 16. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Here it is, verse 17. For, because... It is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did all of those things. Listen, I say this all the time. When did God get... This is theology. We're studying the Bible now. What we're doing is we're reading passages and we're linking them together to form an understanding of who God is. When did God give the people of Israel the Ten Commandments? He gave it to them after he saved them out of slavery. God did not come to the people in Egypt in slavery and say, here are my top ten. If you do these things, then I will save you. What he did was is he saved them and then said, now that I have saved you, now that you know that I will not forsake you and that I love you and that I am your God and you are my people, now live this way. It's massively important. It's honestly the distinction between religion and the gospel. You see, I think a lot of us grew up with this right here. If I obey, then I will be accepted. And that's what you think all of this is. That's why when you miss your Bible reading or don't pray or didn't sign up or do this, then guilt and shame, and then you have to justify yourself, and then you're like going to bed and you're like, oh, I didn't do this. I hope I wake up because if I die tonight before, then I'm not going to go to heaven. I mean, it's just all of that. It's paranoia is what it is, right? But the gospel says this. Because of Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, I am loved and accepted. Therefore, I'm free to obey. That's what we're teaching in our home. That's what we're showing. Here's the application sentence for you. In our home, we will live God's way as revealed in God's word. And listen, it's not, we're not angry about it. We're not saying that this is all the stuff we're against. What we're saying is this is what we're for. Because God in his mercy has saved us and loves us. It's holy, it's obedient, and then the third thing is this. It's united. It's to be united in the family. 
Look at what Jesus prays and asks the Father in John chapter 17. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Here it is. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus says, by the way, this is Jesus on the night that he is to be betrayed, 24 hours away from being nailed to a cross. He prays to his father and asks for unity among the believers. Unity. Why? Because Jesus said that that is the greatest sign and signal for the world to know that I've come into the world. Think about this. We would think that it's like miracles, like shazam, boom, all that. I mean, all power, all of that cool stuff. That's what we think would be the great evidence. Oh, man, if God could just flex and do something like this, then everybody would believe. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when the world looks at a group of people that are a diversity, different backgrounds, different skin color, different all kinds of things, but are gathered around in unity, the person of Jesus Christ, the world will go, there's something different there. There's something different there. So let's follow this logic. If I was the enemy of what God has created and who God is, and we do have an enemy, we're going to get into more of that next week, the fight for the family, if I was the enemy and I wanted to sabotage God's, God's word and his work, what would I do? I would sow discord where there's supposed to be unity. Because the enemy knows that if the world sees that, then it will make a greater impact. And as a matter of fact, Jesus tells us what the enemy's goal is in John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So here's, here's sort of the application sentence. The goal of the enemy is to sow hostility in the family. Please listen to me. It is not just a family conflict. It is spiritual warfare. And listen, I'm not, I, I've been preaching long enough here. I'm not Mr. Ghosty guy, like, oh, the wind blew. It must be the devil. Like, oh, like any of that. I'm not that guy. But I am the guy that when the Bible is so clear and bold to say something, we must stand there. Why do you think why do you think, and we laugh sort of tongue-in-cheek about Thanksgiving and Christmases and getting people together and not being stressed out and this, that, and the other. Why do you think that's so difficult? Because there is active opposition against the family. There is, and awareness is the first step of that. Listen, we'll get into this next week, but do you know the first thing that the enemy attacks after God's created the universe, he attacks a marriage. It's the first thing. God didn't attack Adam, and did, or uh, the enemy didn't attack Adam or Eve before they were brought together. But when God brings them together and forms a family, the enemy attacks. Why? Because it's so valuable. Because it means something. 
So what's the sentence? The application is this. How is our family intentionally fighting for unity? How are we doing that? And guys, it can be as simple, please listen to me, it can be as simple as family dinners. Unified around a table for an hour. I mean, think about it. Um, One scholar says Jesus is either at a meal, coming from a meal, or going to a meal (laughs) in the scriptures. I mean, there are small acts of intentionality. Intentional is the key. Intentional is the key for that. And so how are we fighting for that? It's unity in the family. And then the next to last one is this, serving. Holy, obedient, united, and then serving. Look at what God's word says in Matthew 28, and we'll hurry up here towards the end. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and here it is, You are all brothers. Look at Jesus using the family language. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. Here it is, verse 11. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Look in the passage, by the way. This got brought out to me this week. Verses 14 and 15. Look at the amount of times that God's word says the word serve. And now, therefore, fear the Lord God and serve him. Put away the gods of your fathers served beyond. Verse 16, and if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day then whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I mean, listen, you know, I don't have some fancy degree, but I think the Bible's trying to tell us something here, okay? That's a lot of the uses of the word serve. And then even when we go on and see this in Mark chapter 12, why the family? Why do we focus on serving in the family first? And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And do you know what we think when we hear the word neighbor? We literally either think our neighbors or people that are involved in our life or across the street or people that are different. We immediately gloss over and forget, oh, my immediate neighbor are the people that are living in the same home as me. It is so quick. We are so quick to serve someone on the street or to serve in church. But for some reason, we gloss over the idea that our first service is to the people that God has given to us in our lives. And listen, parents, how difficult is it for those of us who are parenting smaller children? Because it's like, it's like a contradiction, All day, every day, 24-7, it's like snacks, and you got to have your sippy cup because every six seconds you have to drink something or have a snack or do something, and you're constantly serving them, but then your message to them is, hey, listen, the world doesn't revolve around you, okay, right? And it's like, what? Because I'm getting served all the time. One of the main things, um, it's interesting, in in 1 John, he says, "If, if you love God, If you say that you love God, but you see somebody who's in need and you don't meet the need, why would you say that you love God? 
because that love is seen in action and in service. So here's sort of the application sentence. The greatest accomplishments for the kingdom of God begin at home. I mean, listen, when we think about accomplishing something for the kingdom of God, we're like, man, let's go overseas. Let's do the mission trip. Let's build the thing. Let's give away thousands of dollars. Let's do and yes and amen. And we're doing all of that. But listen, at the end of the day, and this is a word for somebody in here, I just believe that you're in a season of life where you're not able to use your primary gifting. And you're like, God, why am I in this season? What is going on? Because you need to remember that what happens at home is the greatest investment into the kingdom of God. What one pastor says is this, your greatest contribution to God's kingdom might not be something that you do, but someone that you raise. Think about these investments. It's to serve. And then the last thing is this, everyone, everyone, everyone in the family. Um, First Peter says this, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as the cover-up for evil or sin, but living as servants, and then here it is, honor everyone. You see, it's everyone because it says everyone right there. It's, It's deep stuff, guys. It's deep, okay? Love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Here's here's what I'm meaning, and, and we'll get into this a little bit more. It's really easy to love people who love like you do. So the way that people receive love is different. And how easy is it for us and our families to go, oh, Ted loves gifts and I love gifts. So man, I just really feel like Ted and I have this connection, you know? But the reality is, as we see all through Scripture, the heartache and the pain that happens when you prioritize other people over other people in the family. It literally causes deep, deep devastation. And another reason why it's everyone is this. God uses the family to bless the world. That's what he did with Abraham. That's still God's plan today. So in closing, as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I want us to look at that acronym again. Holy, obedient, united, serving everyone. What if in 2022, listen, you have so much to focus on. You have so much to do in your homes. There's so, that's why I tried to make this as absolutely as simple as we could. If you have not gotten one of these declarations, get one today. Sign it as a family, even if they are too young and they have them put their little mark on that thing and frame that sucker and put it up in your house and declare a direction and define for your family what what are the values that we have? What is important to us? And listen, Westside, what would happen? What would happen in the marriages, in the dating life, and in all of that? If we stopped fighting in the family and in the marriages, and listen, I get it, there's conflict and they said this and they didn't do it and you're hurt. I understand that some of us are hurting, but I'm telling you this, if you humble yourself before the Lord, 
God will move in mighty ways. We sometimes block our own blessings to our families. So I'm just challenging you today. The ball is in your court. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what vision you have for your family. But what would it look like if we humbled ourselves before the Lord and just simply said, we're putting away the generational and the cultural influences and we declare that as for us and our house, we will serve the Lord. I don't know what the outcome is going to be. I have no idea. You know what? All hell is probably going to break loose, okay? Just going to be honest with you. It's probably going to be chaotic, and you're going to be like, what in the world? But let me tell you why. It's because there is opposition, because you matter, because your family matters, because your home matters. Dad, don't give up. Mom, don't give up. College student, don't give up. Grandma, don't give up. You matter. That's why there's opposition. And I know this, that he who called you is faithful and he will surely do it. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion unto the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And be strong and courageous and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, lo, I will be with you always even to the end of the age. You're not doing it alone declare and define it today. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We come before you as broken and needy people. God, we are unashamed in our need for you. And I just pray today that there would be a level of exhaustion that we have with the cultural influences that are breathing into our families. That finally today we would just say, you know what? It changes every day, the values, and oh, do that. And today, I'm just exhausted. I'm just done. Today, we submit ourselves unto you. God, I pray for those families, for those single people who are doing this now. God, I pray that you would stoke the fire that's burning in their heart, that they would not give up, but they would press into you. God, may our families and our homes, we declare it today that we will serve you and we leave the outcome in your hands. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.